Welcome to the Rockney Cast, a podcast designed to optimize the mind, the body, and the spirit. Dudes, I just finished a book about Elon Musk by Walter Isaacson. It is an awesome book. And for this episode, I'm going to give you kind of a review of the book, but I'm basically going to focus on what Walter Isaacson called Musk's algorithm. That is the five commandments of his business that he has utilized in every single business that he has made, including Tesla, SpaceX, Neuralink, all these incredible businesses. And so I thought it'd be helpful to give you what the algorithm is and then kind of riff on various parts of the algorithm that either you could implement in your own life or you could implement in other people's lives. Because I think... Anytime you have someone like Elon Musk, love him or hate him, this guy has done something that is almost impossible for anyone to do. He has created major businesses in various different sectors, any one of which would have been an incredibly difficult thing to do, 0.001% of the population. And he has done it. So off the top of my head, I have I have six that I think that he's either done or acquired. And most of these are ones that he actually started. Why well, I even forgot a couple that he actually had sold. But early on, he created pay, PayPal um, for electronic commerce. He created Solar City to be able to solarize domestic and commercial electrical production. He obviously created the Tesla car company. He founded SpaceX, which we know what they do. They send rockets into the, into the sky. He formed the Boring Company, which is designed to dig tunnels underneath and create the earth and create transportation networks under the earth to optimize transportation. He created Neuralink to put chips in people's brain, which a lot of people freak out about. But sorry, if you have paraplegia, you're quadriplegic, and he can give you access to be able to move around, yeah, you're going to have to probably put chips in people's brains. Hopefully, he doesn't do it too soon, though. And then, of course, he acquired, just kind of pulling out of his ass, Twitter. And as if that weren't enough, he totally just took a dump on the brand Twitter. It's like, Twitter can go fuck itself. I'm going to call it X. And so far, I think it's been very, very successful with people constantly trying to take him down. So I think anytime someone has done, done something great, the question is kind of how did they do that? And of course, there's never any formula that is going to guarantee success in any one thing or any particular. And, and if it were that everyone would follow the formula and everyone would become successful. You know, whether it's the health space or the um, spiritual space, yes, um, I think the difficulty in any piece of advice or any optimization space like the Rockney cast, the question always is, is what works for me? Is that going to work for you? And this particular algorithm that I'm going to share with you from Elon Musk I think it kind of is universal. And I think after you learn it, you are going to actually apply it and improve your life in some significant way. So first off, I'm just going to read the five requirements of the algorithm. 
And it was at 285 of his, of the book by Walter Isaacson. And I'll give you a little bit of review of the book, but for the most part, I wanted to focus on the algorithm because that's what really resonated with me. Now, this is something that Elon quotes like at every meeting and the employees can all pretty much quote it from heart. And so it is really part of the DNA, not only of Elon Musk, but of every one of his businesses. And so I'm going to read these off, and then I'm going to riff on in total, and then I'm going to riff on just various individual ones. And then he has a couple corollaries as well. The first is, is to question every requirement. This is commandment one. Each requirement should come with the name of the person who made it. You should never accept that a requirement came from a department, such as from the legal department or the safety department. You need to know the name of the real person who made that requirement. Then you should question it, no matter how smart that person is. Requirements from smart people are the most dangerous because people are less likely to question them. Always do so, even if the requirement came from me, that is Elon Musk. Then make the requirements less dumb. Number two, delete any part or process you can. I'd probably add person. Um, you may have to add them back later. In fact, if you did not end up adding back at least 10% of them, then you did not delete enough. Three, simplify and optimize. This should come after step two. A common mistake is to simplify and optimize a part or process that should not exist. Accelerate and number four, accelerate cycle time. Each process can be speeded up but only do this after you have followed the first three steps. In the Tesla factory, I mistakenly spent a lot of time accelerating processes that I later realized should have been deleted. Automate, number five, that comes last. The big mistake in Nevada and at Fremont was that I, that's Musk, began to try to automate every step. We should have waited until all the requirements had been questioned, parts and processes deleted, and the bugs shaken out. And then he has two corollaries to the, to the algorithm, these five commandments that I think are almost more important than the five parts of the actual algorithm. Number one, all technical managers should have hands-on experience. For example, managers of software teams must spend at least 20% of their time coding. Solar roof managers must spend on the roofs doing installation installations. Otherwise, they're like a cavalry leader who can't ride a horse or a general who can't use a sword. Comrad and number two, camaraderie is dangerous. It makes it hard to challenge other people's work. There's a tendency to not want to throw a colleague under the bus. That needs to be avoided. So there you have it. There is the actual DNA of the Elon Musk process. And so taking these things in no particular order, I think for me, the biggest thing that I uh, really resonated with me is to delete unnecessary parts, processes, or activities or people that don't advance your cause that don't further what you're trying to do either as an organization or a person or a team. And I'll just give two examples that I think are very, very easy to delete. 
The first is a thing. The second is a process. In terms of a thing, the thing that is really easy to delete is go to your closet and delete, that is get rid of any item of clothing that you have not worn in the last 90 days. Delete it, simplify, and optimize. Get rid of it. You are going to feel so much better. This is just like the process of decluttering. Declutter in your office, in your house, anything that doesn't advance your mission, and you will feel a total feeling of serenity. And I'm actually going to do that process, I think, a little bit today. I think I'm going to try to delete some things in my closet that I haven't worn in a long time. Now, my Vladimir Zelensky green T-shirt, sponsored by the Ocean T-shirt Factory, if you send an email to rockneycast at gmail.com, you will get a discount. You have to put discount code Ocean in the tagline, and you will get a T-shirt for 20 bucks instead of 25 bucks. Isn't that a good deal? But yeah, so I'm not going to delete my Vladimir Zolonsky t-shirt because I wear it quite a bit. But there's a lot of items in my closet that I haven't even worn for like ever. And you would be surprised the simple process of deleting unnecessary things, people, or persons that don't advance your mission, how good that makes you feel. So go to your closet and delete and I think that's what he's getting at. Any process that doesn't add value, that doesn't move the football. Number two, and this is for any organization, delete meetings. Have any of you ever been part of any organization in which you ever really got meetings, much done at meetings, especially meetings that are not well run? Any meeting that lasts longer than an hour or even 30 minutes is a shitty meeting, especially if it has more than three or four people. I think I, there are so many different organizations that I've been part of that the meeting actually kills things. That so many meetings, it doesn't advance the mission of the organization. It doesn't, um, it doesn't foster creativity. It doesn't foster direction. Now, you do have to have some meetings. So maybe this would be minimized meetings. If you're an organization, you got to have a certain amount of meetings in terms of just the structure of the organization. But most meetings freaking suck. Delete them. So I think that's one of the things that you can just think about. And here's, here's what he's really doing. He's not necessarily like any process or set of principles He's not really saying what to delete. Obviously, that's for you to decide. But I think to go through these different processes and have a process so you have a plan, a strategy, I think is something that's very, very important. The other thing that I think in terms of, and this can kind of cut both ways, and I think for, for, for number one, question every requirement, this can kind of, this is probably one of the toughest things. And I think that it really, you, I'd be interested to see how this plays itself out in any organization, because sometimes you have rules that are in place for a reason, because something bad may have happened. And that's why you have to do these certain safety protocols. And at some point you have to be like a parent to a child just to say, do the damn thing. I don't want you to question every single, every single thing. But there can be certain things. I remember in my own career where I'd, convince, I'd, I'd question conventional wisdom 
you know, the practice of law. Why do we have to do things in a certain way? Why do you have to have a fancy office? Why do you have to um, do all these unnecessary tasks that don't really advance the football in terms of, you know, being a lawyer, right? For example, I think it is good to question that. That one didn't resonate as much with me. Although I think basically what he's getting at is a lot of times there will be these requirements that in fact don't really do anything. They don't really advance the organization of the mission and if the, the mission of the organization. And if they don't do that, you just gotta get rid of them. So maybe the, the big thing would be is every organization is gonna have a certain amount of requirements, but the, the key is, and I think they're really what it gets into is this conversation of understanding if your employees understand why you're doing certain things, then yeah, then I think that they can understand why it's necessary to do certain things in a certain way. And so that they can advance the mission of the team. So to understand is really good. And I think in terms of this mandating, they have to do these certain things. But certain times you look back and you peel back and you think, gosh, it turns out we really don't have to do that. And if you can't explain why we have to do a certain thing in terms of an organization, a rule, a requirement, if you can't show me the actual code provision, then it's not worth shit. I remember one time when I was in um, a community activism stage in the city of Iowa City, where I was gonna file an application to rezone a public piece of property, and all the employees were like, oh my God, you can't do that. You can't rezone a public piece of property. And I said, why? Show me the rule that says that I can't. And after that request was implemented, they came back to me and said, yeah, there's nothing to prevent you from rezoning a public piece of property. And so I did it because I wanted to ventilate a community concern. And that's kind of an illustration of why. You know, we're from north of Missouri. Show me why, why do I have to do any particular item. And it is good to basically be able to, to communicate that. You know, the other ones, I think delete is the big one for me. Simplify and optimize. I think that's really related to step two. And I think automate, you know, this gets into like big, huge factories. And I think sometimes it comes down to is what point is it better to have kind of the old fashioned method versus the new method. And I think this is just something I think every organization has to kind of grapple with. But I think the corollaries were, I think, the most interesting because I think that they really resonated with me. So the corollaries are really interesting, which aren't part of the essential commandments, but the corollaries to the commandments. All technical managers must have hands-on experience. And they must actually do the thing that they're in charge of doing, number one. And number two, camaraderie is dangerous. So in terms of number one, this is huge in terms of how the practice of legal education has evolved. Nearly every law professor, some of them have practiced, but most of them haven't practiced law a day in their life. They may have done a little bit of a clerkship. And as a result, they have no fucking idea what the practice of law of light is like, how to do it, how to set up a case, what's important, what's not, how to set up a practice, how to work as an associate, no idea whatsoever 
So the people that teach it haven't done it. And as a result, there's this giant disconnect between the people that teach it, the people that end up doing it, and what's important and what's not. And so you end up getting a situation where practicing lawyers do not give a shit what any law professor thinks. They are totally irrelevant. No one would ever set that up. So if you actually were to, if Elon Musk, so if you were taking the Muskian approach to, let's say, law school, one, he would probably say, God, I wouldn't even want to further propagate any lawyers. But hey, Musk, I'm a lawyer. And I think what you could do is if Musk set up a law school, he would demand that the people that were actually teaching in the law school actually had a practice. Now, this would be kind of challenging because you would have to be able to manage the deadlines of, of, of law practice, and it is incredibly time-intensive, but it can be done, and you would actually have to streamline it and integrate it into the um, process itself. But that would be his requirement. If you're a law school, the people that teach the practice should actually have experience and be actively doing the very thing they purport to be teaching. And this could be accomplished in a number of different ways. You could either have people that rotate in um, and, and you, you could do this because most of the really successful lawyers are happy to teach, would love to teach, would love to do lawyer wellness and these sorts of things. So that's how he would set it up. There's no doubt about it that Musk would demand that if you're teaching law, that you would actually have practice law and that you're act actively practicing law while you're teaching it. You gotta have that hands-on experience. And I think in terms of, um, you know, as you grow your business, when you think about delegation, the key with delegation is, yes, you wanna delegate unpleasant tasks, but you should only delegate those tasks that you already know how to do. And I think in my own experience, that's been a weakness of mine, is that sometimes I've delegated stuff that I'm not only not, not that I'm not only good at, but I'm gonna do. So, um, that is something I really do have to work on. But so that's the key is you got to have actual hands-on experience. And this could be like a philosophy of life. You know, whether it's Aristotle, you are what you repeatedly do. If you want to be in sculptor, sculpt. If you want to be a podcaster, podcast. One of the reasons why I have willfully refused to learn anything from any of the Spotify, how to be a podcaster, because ultimately I think the only way that you could really do it is just to continually do it. And I think if like Joe Rogan, if he were to actually say how to become a podcaster, he would say, do what really works with your particular style and do it, reflect on it, and then keep on doing it. That's one of the reasons why with this particular podcast that I have not spent a lot of time doing editing, doing high tech or anything like that, because I felt that the process of actually doing the podcast is more important than spending time that I do not have that doesn't really add as much value. Now, at some point I'm at, I may add a little fancy addition to it. I may put in some graphics. I may kind of soup it up. But I've kind of made the tactical decision that I think it's more important to actually do it than to actually spend a whole bunch of time doing episodes that 
I'm not able to find time to do. So then I'm not becoming a podcaster. Something I tried to do is basically delete every single process that's not actually um, necessary to put on this podcast. You know what I need to put on this podcast? Mwah. I'm the only necessary process. I don't need to edit. Maybe some of you are like, oh my God, you really do need to edit. But my point is, is I'm getting it done. And you know what? I've now had a body of work of four years of doing this podcast. I still have relatively low numbers. So, you know, whether this is a example for how to do it, maybe people are like, oh my God, this is why you should maybe learn from other people. But seriously, in all seriousness, that I'm, I'm using this particular process rather than try to take a podcasting school or pay a whole bunch of money to learn from another podcaster. I'm developing my my own style. I'm doing what I like to do. I'm focused on what I think is going to be helpful. I'm reading books like by Elon Musk. And that just kind of really jumps out at me as something that I feel good about the direction of this podcast because I don't have a lot of fancy equipment. I'm putting it out. I'm getting it done. I'm not letting the perfect be the enemy of getting things done. The second one is camaraderie is dangerous. And I know what he's getting at here. Basically what he's saying is, is camaraderie is dangerous. It makes it hard for people to challenge each other's work. And this is kind of interesting because this gets into what do you do when people suck? How do you approach them? And what, what process are you going to use to ensure that the person that sucks is actually improving based upon what sucks? And here I'd probably modify, I get what he's saying. I mean, he's basically saying, if you have someone in your organization who sucks and is not getting it done, how do you confront them? And so here's, there's sort of a couple different things as far as this goes. The question always is, anytime that you actually confront a person, entity, a thing, are they going to take that feedback and absorb it in a way in which they can actually benefit from it and improve their particular process? And if they are, they're a good student, they're a good learner. But if they're not going to, they the question you have to ask yourself, are they able to, are they able to absorb the feedback, number one? And number two, even if they are able, are they willing to? And I think that probably is one of the hardest things that is devastating to any organization or person is how do you actually absorb that feedback in which they're willing to actually take it in. Because a lot of times everyone has kind of the theater of their own mind. And they may think that there's a reason why they are or they aren't doing a certain thing. And so it gets very difficult for them to be able to change that particular behavior because in their own mind, they are doing perfectly well. And in fact, it's you're the one that actually sucks. But this gets down to the beauty of the American system of capitalism. If in fact you are, let's say you're your guy on a construction crew and you're the foreman and you have the new innovative way to innovate and to do something new and you're actually willing to implement it, 
and your boss doesn't like it and you have you have one of two options you can do what your boss tells you number one or you can start your own enterprise and get it done the problem and i think to me the death knell of so much of liberalism is they have a great idea and they tell someone else to do it and then if they do it then it failed well then you get the credit for sharing with them that they had done it and number two if they fail well then it's their fault they didn't do it quite correctly that in a nutshell is the problem of liberalism and this is why i think that um elon musk is so important as an individual and why i have so much respect for him even though he's obviously a very flawed person what i loved about the process of education is to take a series of abstraction, that is ideas in our head and manifest them into reality, into tangible objects and goods. And this can be very, very abstract and sometimes very difficult to communicate as to why this thing that you're learning in the class is somehow gonna manifest it into what is actually practical in the world. And here, let me compare and contrast and connect a couple creatives that I think absolutely would, would understand one another. Ernest Hemingway, Elon Musk, and Steve Jobs, what did they all have in common? Hemingway as a writer, to me, you could have a computer programmer and you could teach Hemingway in coding. And how would you connect Hemingway as a writer to a computer coder? Well, Hemingway as a writer was very descriptive and he eliminated all unnecessary words. He viewed the short, the clarity, the, the simplicity as the best. So that type of approach, the ability to be able to write clearly and succinctly is also the same thing that's going to make you code in a particular way. And that's precisely what um, Musk is saying. Delete any unnecessary words, processes, persons, or things that don't actually add to the value of what you're trying to do. Steve Jobs was exactly the same way. He loved simple, clear, elegant design that matched the purpose and the function of what they were actually trying to do. Jobs felt that design should be simple and that the form of the particular object should dictate what the design and the design in turn would enhance what the purpose of the object actually was, whether it was the iPhone or the computer or any other of the things that Steve Jobs had designed. So it's one thing to kind of talk about all these different principles, but the other thing is to see how Musk actually implemented some of these principles in the actual process of manufacturing, which to me would take a major set of balls based upon some of the things that he was deleting. So let me just kind of highlight a couple of different kind of anecdotes from the actual book. So let's talk about deletion. This is in the ramp up of the Tesla 
factory to try to get production up to 5,000 cars a week, which must felt that they must be able to do in order to be able to get the company to be profitable. Now, again, this is like, a, what would a liberal say? Oh, just get it up to 5,000. 5, but Musk was in charge of actually making that happen. And throughout the process of trying to make that happen, he actually implemented some of these principles. So, for example, oh, let me just read this portion from Musk's book. It said, during, this is at page 281. During his push to ramp up production at the Nevada Battery Factory, Musk learned that there were certain tasks, sometimes very simple ones, that humans do better than robots. We can use our eyes to look around a room and find just the right tool we need. Then we can weave our way over, pick it up with our fingers and thumb, eyeball the right spot to use it, and guide it with our arm. Easy, right? Not for a robot. However good its cameras... At Fremont, where each assembly line had 1,200 robotic devices, Musk came to the realization that he had at Nevada about the perils of pursuing automation too relentlessly. Near the end of the final assembly were robotic arms trying to adjust the little seals around the windows. They were having a hard time. One day after standing silently in front of the bulky robotics for a few minutes, Musk tried doing the same task task with his own hands, it was easy for a human. He issued an order similar to the one he had given in Nevada. You have 72 hours to remove every unnecessary machine. And so a lot of people backed up against this and said, hey, you're not giving this a chance. But he went with his instinct and it ended up being essential to making this particular production process more efficient. And so again, I think one of the things that makes Musk so unique is this brilliant kind of weaving of his own instincts, his practical experience, his substantive knowledge, and his on-the-job training in terms of how to actually make things happen. And so far, he's been very, very successful doing that. Other things would have been, took in total guts to be able to do. One of the things that he did was is delete unnecessary safety processes, including on the rocket ship, and so he, uh, Isaacson highlights a particular portion of the manufacturing or the of the rockets, as well as once they're actually installed for safety sensors. He, and this is for production lines, he said, the production lines often halted, this is at SpaceX and at Tesla, when safety center sensors were triggered. Musk decided they were too sensitive, tripping when there was no real problem. He tested some of them to see if something like a small piece of paper falling past the sensor could trigger a stoppage. This led to a crusade to weed out sensors in both Tesla cars and SpaceX rockets. Unless a sensor is absolutely needed to start an engine or safety atop an engine before it explodes, it must be deleted, he wrote in this email to SpaceX engineers. Going forward, anyone who puts a sensor on an engine that isn't obviously critical will be asked to leave. Now, of course, here the issue always is, is what is critical and what's not. And this is where it takes a ton of balls to be able to do what he did, is to make decisions in the world as it is. Not in the world as we want it to be or the world's word we wish we could be, 
but to make decisions in the world as it is and do it in a way that actually optimizes what he's actually trying to accomplish. And I think that's one of the things that when you're trying to get better at something or improve something, the question always is, is what are you doing in your own life right now that does not advance the football? That is an unnecessary task. And I would even add in addition to that, what are the things that you are doing in your life that don't only advance your purpose, but actually detract from your purpose that actually make you worse off in mind, body, and spirit? Um, one thing I can come up with is daily alcohol consumption. I don't see how you can achieve what you want in your mind, your body, and your spirit if you're drinking every single day. Um, it is an unnecessary task. It does not enhance your body. It does not enhance your mind. It does not enhance your spirit. It does not enhance your finances. So not only to eliminate those tasks, those tasks that don't advance the football, but to specially eliminate those ones that are actually impeding from where you want to go. One of the things that I really love about Walter Isaacson is it's clear the type of person that he's interested in writing about. Benjamin Franklin, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk. These are the ones that he's focused on. And he obviously is very interested in people that have been able to take ideas and make them happen in the reality as it is. And I think that is why I love reading the books by Walter Isaacson, because you can learn so much based upon people that have already achieved a lot. You know, I'm almost 50 and I think Elon Musk is four years older than me. So I think he's like 53 and he's already started like eight factories. And I've just started my podcast, but we all kind of got to start where we are. Um, you know, I think that I, I read a passage, I think from scripture the other day, I think it was Ruben Youngdahl. And it talked about the importance of making the first step wherever you are to make your step to make it happen. And don't lament the steps that you haven't taken or don't think about the huge steps that you are going to take. Take the step that you need to take today and then use these sorts of algorithms, these things that Elon Musk does to really set forth what you're going to do. He also had another section of the book that I think I might um, do a separate podcast is on this game Polytopia and what you can really learn from Polytopia in terms of applying it to your life. And I think that was also really, really helpful. So I hope you found this particular episode very helpful, that you got some things. What are the things that you could be deleting from your life? So start today. One step today, go into your closet and delete one item that you don't need. I think today I'm going to be decluttering and deleting a lot of things from my office. I think that's always the first step. Delete what you do not need. And number two, think about what do you need and why do you need it? What's your purpose? Where are you going? And, you know, I think with this particular podcast, you can make a lot of critiques of it. But you know what? Every day I take this step in making it happen. I try to do it as many days as I can. James Clear talks about every action is a vote for the person that you want to become. So for me to put out this podcast and for you to tune it in means that you are committing to improving your own life and you're trying to enhance your own life. And hopefully you can share 
what you've learned here to enhance and optimize your own life in mind, body, and spirit. So those are these five requirements. I'm just going to summarize them again so you can get them. Question every requirement. Delete any part or process you can, and I would say potentially person or activity as well. Number three, simplify and optimize. That should come after step two. Number four, accel accelerate steps one through three. And number five, automate. But only automate where you're sure that steps one through four have done very well. And think about what parts of your life you could do better without actually having to automate it. And then the two corollaries are, you should have hands-on experience, technical managers, camaraderie is dangerous. And that is one thing I just wanna do in my little coda here, my little lanyard, my little something extra for you. You do have to have both affirmation and feedback when people aren't doing well. The affirmation helps confirm the positive skill set that they do have, but you can't really be negative with someone. If they don't actually have, I would say delete any of the, the, the negativity. If you feel that they don't have the skills that you have, delete it, let them go. But the question always is, do they have the skill set, number one, to do what you need them to do? And number two, are they willing to embrace those principles? And that those are two big hurdles for a lot of people. So that's it for this episode of the Rocky Cast. I will put the link in the show notes to the Elon Musk book. Um, this was a very good book. I did enjoy it. I would say my only critique of it is, is that, you know, Musk did so much with all of his life. I think the creation of any one of his companies, whether it's Neuralink, SolarCity, Tesla, there's a lot of different technical challenges that they had to overcome. And I always think the physics and the math of that is very interesting. So I would have wished he would have been able to do a little bit more of a deep dive. And he was a little heavy into what happened with Musk's acquisition of Twitter. But for the most part, this is just a function of Elon Musk's life. He's done so much. If you're going to get back to book, and this book is nearly, it's over 500 pages. There's only so deep you can get into any particular topic. And I can say that Musk, for the early 20th century, he's going to make the top 10 list of any most influential person because he's a person that do. And I imagine, I admire people that are people that do, people that enhance, people that optimize. That is what I admire. And I think Musk, love him or hate him, he's a guy that gets shit done. And isn't that really what we all want? People that are going to actually move the needle, advance their purpose, and get shit done. So that's it for this episode of the Rockney Cast. I'm going to continue to do some high-quality episodes to optimize your mind, your body, and your spirit. I think I might be doing an episode here soon on Harold Hadrada. I may do part two on the principles from Polytopia. I'm going to be continuing. I did wait 90 minutes for my first coffee, and I'm feeling really good. Only one coffee in yet this morning. And I'm also going to um, optimize and declutter my desk and my closet today. So I'm going to try to get that stuff done as well. Applying the principles of Elon Musk. Do send me an email at rockneycast.gmail.com for your um, Austin T-shirt factory T-shirt. And, and if you do send in, you will get a $5 discount from $25 to $20 for the Austin T-shirt factory. So that's it for this episode of the Rockney Fat Rockney Cast. Rockney Fast. 
Until next time, you and I see each other on the Rockney Cast.